Welcome back to another episode of the Two Bros podcast and I'm joined today again with big brother big brother big hello to you sir how are you doing today Is it a coincidence that we keep meeting on the Two Bros podcast <laughs> Funny you should mention that brother we have a new logo now the Two Bros podcast has a logo your your thoughts and opinions about it Well I think the logo encapsulates everything that we've been doing pretty much since you were born Uh-huh. which is uh, talking about uh, inconsequential things in consequential ways uh-huh. but i would like to give a shout out to this guy i've never met but i feel is incredibly talented and i would like you to talk about the artist who contributed this logo no so i tell you what this guy was a cadet uh, on my ship his name was carl his name is carl he's from the philippines and he is an incredible uh, illustrator he would just we would all sit for uh, like a coffee break and all of us would use you know would trade stories and stuff but this guy he would just like uh, grab a piece of paper and a pen and just start doodling and in the end we were like carl what the hell are you doing and he would reveal what he has drawn and it was it was amazing okay and then to challenge the man i would give him like uh, you know like a, like ideas like i would tell him draw a, a man like with the body of a lion the head of a man wings of an eagle and the tail of a serpent you know it, this doesn't exist but you got to imagine it and the man would nail it every single time and uh, big shout out to carl he can be found at uh, at carl crook i will leave the description i will leave the link to his uh, instagram account and please give this man a follow and a like he's quite incredible with what he's done what a good man he is and a shout out for me as well uh, thank you so much carl although i've never met you <laughs> i hope i do uh, but fantastic logo Yeah. And with a new logo let's talk about uh, some new movers and shakers in the world of football in the world of the Premier League. Uh your early thoughts about the weekend. Very very interesting result. 6 draws out of uh, 10 games. That's that's uh, quite a you know gives you an indication of how balanced this league is, you know. Anything can happen and even the minnows so to speak can uh, take up the big dogs, you know. That is correct. And uh, out of the six draws, let us talk about the West Brom Burnley draw first, because that is the first stalemate that the Premier League has seen all season. Oh, yeah. It is some kind of record that uh, the first stalemate of a season has come in game week number five, in what is essentially the fifty-seventh or the fifty-eighth game of the season. They're quite incredible. to maintain for all teams to maintain such a scoring record but uh, the non descript uh, draw side uh, i want to start with a draw that uh, no one saw coming mm-hmm. uh, the script was written for a fairy tale comeback for gareth bale uh, for the much wanted attack to finally take shape but instead what we saw was a capitulation that spurs now have become guilty of much too often mm-hmm. and a dramatic fight back by west ham and you saw the game live uh, tell me tell me what transpired in those last 10 15 minutes well i would like to come to that but uh, now that you brought it up we will uh, you know uh, from there let's go back to saturday but talking about the the spurs west ham game and i think it was to every uh, you know viewer it looked like it was signed sealed and delivered three points to jose mourinho But uh, you know, three goals in like what seventeen minutes, and Kane and Son the way they took off forty five seconds into the match, and Son scores the proper goal. 
you know, you're thinking, well, it's going to be a demolition and you would suspect like West Ham would immediately go back into their, uh, you know, damage limitation mode, but which they didn't. They stuck to their guns, they stuck to, they stuck to their game plan. Hats off to uh, David Moyes. I mean, I, we, t- we took his case a little bit in the last episode, but he was on the touchline this time. He did, uh, you know, uh, give out uh, instructions to his team. And uh, well, this is, by the way, the record that I, the, this is a new record for a team that has drawn after losing by three goals uh, till the 81st minute. You know, that's quite a comeback to score three goals in the dying minutes. I mean, of course, one of them was an unfortunate own goal, but as a goal is a goal, you know. And I mean, a well-deserved point uh, to West Ham, I would say. A well-deserved point indeed. It did spoil the comeback of Gareth Bale a little bit. Uh, he had a golden chance to make it uh, 4-2 and he spurned it. Yeah. But uh, of course, for someone who's not played a single game in uh, the better part of 10 months, uh, it says that he's rusty. But yeah, let's start from the very top. So, the first game that got us underway was the Merseyside derby. And boy, was it all blood and thunder. It really was. And it had all the ingredients to be explosive. But uh, the, the return of Mane as well. You know, he, you know, the man can shake off the virus like, you know, nothing happened to him. And uh, again, the, the, the game was... The talking point of the game was the very uh, weird VAR uh, disallowed goal by, uh, what is it, Jordan Henderson, I think, in the 94th minute, which could have been the winner, but it was eventually ruled out and there was a lot of controversy over it, which it didn't quite appear to be offside on VAR, but it was given and the goal was cancelled. Obviously, Jürgen Klopp had a lot to say about it, but uh, I would say points well shared there. Point certainly well shared and I, I would say Everton uh, certainly deserved the point for the way they fought and they stuck to their uh, guns. But let's talk about this VAR for a change. You know, I, I feel and both of us, uh, you know, being from a applied sciences background, um, now the technology is there to figure out if a player is offside by mere millimetres. So, what essentially our fans angry about is that uh, there used to be a subjectivity. Of course, you know, you had the whole uh, human error aspect of it, which was incredibly uh, poor to say, you know, undeserving goals got given, deserving goals got uh, ungiven. So now you've got the tech to essentially rule somebody out offside by millimeters. And now people are whining about, should it be? Now, if you think about the scientific method, mm-hmm. you know, if something's, um, let's say, crossed something, even if it's by an angstrom, it's crossed something, right? So, should fans be moaning? I mean, they, should they be uh, instead getting used to the fact that, yes, an offside by a millimeter is still offside? And I remember I talked about this in a in a previous episode. This this is uh, this has kind of been brought on uh, by the fans and the managers. You know they've brought it on to themselves by criticizing referees for decisions which uh, should have been given or should not have been given. Now in my in my honest opinion, uh, a millimeter does not really give an attacker a bit of an advantage. You know even there've been cases where the attacker is like facing the other way and his heel is offside. You know he still has to turn around and then run after the ball. But uh, now because of uh, all the, you know, the media, the, the you know, the, the open criticism of the referees of the Premier League, that uh, FA had to take, uh, FA and the rest of the footballing uh, universe had to take matters into their own hands and say, you know what, we're going to impose this l- rule literally 
like even if you know you have an armpit offside it's offside now even though it offers you as a football i mean we both play football what kind of an advantage do you get by just maybe like leaning forward you know it it's not much of an advantage but now players and managers because of their open criticism have brought it to themselves and i think it serves them right i think it serves them right but what it does remove is the human uh, angle from the game and you know uh, now people are crying for some subjectivity to be brought back you know for let's say a var referee to say if there was a discernible advantage uh, the example you just mentioned if a player was facing the other way should his heel be given offside etc and to that i say how is that different from what was yeah. you know leaving uh, different people to interpret the law differently so i i say we all wise enough and we get used to what is which is an offside is an offside by a millimeter or by a meter and i tell you what over the course of an entire season i think these decisions kind of like balance them each other you know themselves out i mean uh, talking about uh like an exception for united maybe we got 14 penalties last season but they were actually penalties you know because var confirmed it it would have been let's say half of them would probably would not have been given if var was not involved you know and a lot of points would have been lost so you gain some you lose some you know but i i like the fact that now it has i mean i hate the interruption that fine you've scored the goal and now you have to wait and see like if should you really celebrate or not have you really has the match turned but uh it's now become an exact science to be honest like it's become foolproof you can't uh, mess about uh, with these things and uh, another interesting talking point and this is going to be a big big game changer in the season to come the and another var decision that could have been discussed but it wasn't was the injury to virgil van dyke now studies uh, studies i'm saying uh, news reports have shown that it's a very serious injury he will have to get operated it's his acl that he's busted we're talking the same injury which happened to Zlatan Ibrahimovic when he was at united and a man of his stature took another 8 7 to 8 months to get back on his feet now this essentially is a game changer for the title race it's a big one and uh, no matter which way you look at it uh, it's a big big loss enough has been spoken about uh, how much uh, van dijk means to this team uh, let's talk about the other aspect really uh, should pickford have been um retroactively charged for the tackle i think so i mean we've had cases where uh the foul has been given but the player has gone into a scuffle i mean think about the marcial incident from uh, the tottenham game you know the the ball wasn't in play the ball was uh, at sitting at the corner flag marcial raised his hand and he was given a red it was an off the ball challenge you know it was off the ball misconduct and yes the offside was given VAR saw it obviously you know VAR sees everything and Pickford has gone lunging into uh, Van Dijk he's missed the ball completely his he's collided with his knee really high up both his studs were showing but uh, the ref's response was no the ball wasn't in play but it's still an off the ball challenge i think he should have been penalized for that maybe even uh, a possible red card now about these acl injuries uh I've I've interacted with a lot of sports physios and sports doctors uh, as a part of uh, what I used to do, and essentially ligaments go when weight is placed on them in angles that it they, it shouldn't be placed in. Yeah. 
Now, the ACL has gone because Pickford's body weight has come in down on Van Dyke's knee at an angle that the ligament cannot support. And the leg, the knee which was supporting his weight, it was he had planted, yes, he exactly. planted his foot on it. Now, yeah. other, at, in other times, your ligament goes if your own body weight falls on the ligament and uh, twists your knee in a way that it is not meant to support. Now, the thing is that with Pickford's challenge, the rashness of it, has caused his body weight, his momentum to go on to Van Dyke. Now, the thing is, if this weren't offside, would it have been a red card challenge? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So then the rule is that does the offside absolve Pickford of his actions? No, so, I think I think it's a it's a missed opportunity. I think the ref and VAR have completely bottled that up. Yeah, they have. And this uh, harks back to game week three. When uh, Mane swung out an elbow at Kieran Tierney. And, uh, you know, that kind of action always goes unpunished. We now see flailing elbows being punished. But, you know, I think, again, uh, it's one of those things which football has struggled with, which is consistency. Yeah. Right, moving on to the next game, uh, which is Chelsea versus Southampton. It's another very interesting result, a three-all draw here. And uh, to an extent, Chelsea fans must be very happy that uh, the likes of Werner and Havertz have gotten off the mark. Werner with some two very interesting, very incredible goals. And a certain Ben Chilwell already uh, providing his third assist in uh, in two games. You know, he's off the mark quite well. But it was yet another last-minute uh, winner. And uh, it was it was kicked in by a certain uh, Arsenal favourite of yours, Theo Walcott. Bounced off the head of Vestergaard. And it's a three-all draw to, to you know in the end. So what do you what did you make of that game? Well, uh, at one point, Leo Messi called Theo Walcott the most dangerous player in the world. What are you saying? And, <laughs> yes, you can you can look that up. Uh-huh. Uh, Leo Messi, uh, when facing Arsenal, said Theo Walcott is one of the most dangerous players in the world. Okay. So Walcott, uh, to me, always a player with great potential. Uh, limited dimensions, which is speed mm-hmm. and ability to run behind, uh, you know, defenders. He's essentially best when there is one touch to be taken and a shot to be, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, shot to be taken. He's not very good with when he has time on the ball. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, which is why he's gone from Arsenal to Everton to now Southampton. But uh, even before that, gotta admire Southampton's guts. And uh, with their front two, you know, Adams and Ings, they are always going to give teams a problem. And this one's going to be a bogey team for many, many big teams and we better watch out for them. Yeah, I think Southampton are quite capable of uh, causing a lot of upsets like they did in this case. They were at Stamford Bridge, they took out uh, a three, was it a two-goal lead or a three-goal lead? I can't remember now. But uh, the score ended in a stalemate three-all with uh, Chelsea-Southampton. Now, moving on to the next game, which is a game I completely skipped because I had other engagements. I'm going to let you talk about it because the only game, uh, the only team that failed to score on Saturday was uh, Arsenal versus Man City at the Etihad. Talk to me, what happened in that game? So, this was a very, very good technical game to watch. So, uh, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, grace the vitriol on social media with my comment. It was a thoroughly enjoyable game to watch. Two master tacticians at work. You saw the ball being deliberately possessed, uh, being passed from side to side, back and forth, two teams employing the high press and two teams very adept at playing out of a high press. Mm -hmm. 
Now, this was a far more equal game compared to the 3-0 loss uh, that was uh, Arteta's uh, first or the second game uh, in charge. Mm-hmm. It was an even more even game compared to the community uh, commu- compared to the FA Cup semi-final, which we won. That semi-final, we won purely by playing on the counter-attack. But in this game, there were very, very clear-cut open chances for Arsenal to score. Edison was in fine form. Uh, you know, maybe one of the efforts of Aubameyang should have done well. Saka should have done better. But this was a very enjoyable game. This was a game for the, for the purest. Mm-hmm. Alright. So, and with that win, Sterling, of course, on the score sheet. And Sterling, uh, by the way, doing quite well in the Fantasy Premier League. Uh with this win, Man City now break into the top 10. They're now on the ninth position. Uh, and uh, the next game which followed was Newcastle United versus Manchester United. Now, I had, I didn't have a lot of hopes with this one. But uh, the result was a bit surprising to, in the end. And I would say the scoreline kind of flatters, uh, you know, the, the match a little bit. Because it's, it's, it doesn't tell the full story. It wasn't that United dominated and they had, a, you know, a proper five-star performance. But a win is a win. And I'll, at this point, I think United fans are going to be happy with uh, three points on the board. So, City and United are the big movers of the weekend. Yeah. And they've moved from their abysmally low positions to at least uh, positions that do some justice. Both of them have a game in hand, by the way. So, the table right now does not reflect their accurate position. But, um, I mean, the, the scoreline tells a different story. Because this game was actually even until uh, late, late in the game. That's so, true. what was going through your mind at that point of time when it was one all and late in the game? Look, the game when the game started, I was I was quite happy with the changes that Ole had made. I mean, he he had uh, he did put his foot down and said, you know what, if you don't deliver, you're not fit enough to play for the team. Doesn't matter if you're Paul Pogba or if you know you're Greenwood, whoever you are. He started with the likes of uh, Dan James and Juan Mata, and I, I like these guys. You know, they play for the shirt. They have they have a passion. Uh, you know, and they they not they're not selfish players. You know, they they work for the collective. I would have liked to see uh, maybe Donny Van der Beek started start as well, but. Uh, I'm sure he'll get his game time eventually. But uh, United off to the worst possible start with, with an own goal by Luke Shaw. Now again, you know, Luke Shaw, his replacement was on the bench. Alex Telles was on the bench, but he again had an abysmal game. He was quite poor. His marking was, uh, you know, questionable at times. And with that own goal, I mean, uh, well, own goals happen, I guess. But I, I'm surprised that De Gea stayed, stayed planted on his feet. It, it was a big deflection. He was already at the near post. I think he should have... I think he had the time to do something about it, but he he just did not uh, you know move a muscle. That that kind of upset me a bit. And immediately, if you're a United fan, and uh, you know you're going through the <clears throat> the social media abuse that's uh, you know going on these days, going down by an own goal in the first uh, I don't know five or ten minutes was pro- quite possibly the worst start they could have imagined. But they came back strong. Now I'm speaking to you as a neutral. Uh, what does Dean Henderson have to do to get a start? In my opinion, he needs one. I think De Gea has had a terrible few uh, months. He's been terrible for Spain. He's been terrible for United. He's made a lot of errors. I think his his confidence is gone. I think he needs some time away from the limelight. And this is exactly the time where a guy like Henderson needs to come in because he's pumped up. He's ready to prove himself. He's uh, you know stuck with the manager and he has not applied for uh, a loan move somewhere else again. And now he's impressed the manager to a point where... Sergio Romero can't even find a place on the bench anymore. I think that that change needs that change needs to happen. De Gea needs to be benched. That he's no longer, you know, the the bona fide number one of United. He needs to prove himself again. I think he's let the team down quite a bit this time. 
So let me put you on the spot. Uh, would you start Henderson tonight later against PSG? I would. I I really would. But uh, again, it's the Champions League. The nerves really kick in for a young goalkeeper. Maybe not the right time against a team like PSG. But I do really want to see Henderson take over the duties of uh, you know the the the, the, the cup tournaments. You know, like uh, the, the the FA Cup. He's already played in the FA Cup. No, not the FA Cup. But the AFL Cup. I really do hope I see him, uh, you know, take take uh, the position between sticks for these tournaments at least. And yeah, I hope he goes uh, in confidence and eventually becomes United's number one. Because, I mean, United are all about promoting uh, people from their own academy and not buying uh, such. And Henderson is a is a great great uh, player. Well, uh, I envy you there because after selling Emmy Martinez, we don't have a backup to Leno, so we are really playing on a wing and a prayer. I got two words uh, for you. I got two words for you, Sergio Romero. Get that man; he is incredible. He's got like thirty-seven clean sheets in I don't know fifty-seven matches or something. I mean, fine, they're in the FA Cup and the EFL, but that's an incredible record. Well, I doubt uh, United are going to loan their keeper to Arsenal. Well, he's not even on the bench. Maybe they will. I don't know. Anyway, another yeah, maybe, another yeah. another important talking point was, uh, you know, the so Harry Maguire. We, we we talked about him last time as well. He had a tough time during the international break as well. He got himself sent off, and he, you know, his defending his defense was quite uh, quite poor. He did uh, show up and get the equalizer in the twenty third minute with that towering header over the defense, and kind of felt. You know the he kind of uh, you know it looked like a moment where he has uh, proved himself. He didn't celebrate much. He gave his teammates a high five. He had the stern look on his face. It kind of looked like he was pissed off. And you know that's the kind of you know the the kind of passion you want from a player that he wants to prove himself that he's worthy of being a United captain and a United center half. And seeing that on his face was was quite good. And getting the goal, I think, must have done wonders for his his confidence and must have silenced a few critics. I would say. Yeah, that's true. And you know, if you if as a defender you can get some goals at the other end, I think this is his second for the season. Uh, you know, you're you're contributing and uh, an equalizer against uh, Newcastle. Uh, yeah, most welcome. So, but talk to me about the late late drama. So, uh, what what is the game like at that point of time? Did you see the goal coming? No, I mean it was coming, and United. For the longest time, they they lacked any any fluidity. It was just uh, you know sideways passing. They were trying things. They weren't you know give, be able to pull it off. And uh, I tell you, when all of this changed with the introduction of Donny Van de Beek and uh, Paul Pogba coming in. Now Paul Pogba, for instance, didn't do much. He didn't do anything at all, to be honest. He again tried some flicks and tricks and gave the ball away, which infuriated a lot of people. But the Bruno Fernandez goal, mind you, was started. By uh, you know, Newcastle had a corner. The ball was cleared out, won by Donny Van de Beek, squared up to Mata. Mata plays a lovely over the ball, over the defense pass to Rashford. Rashford holds on to it and watches the overlap of Bruno Fernandez, lays it out to him, and Bruno Fernandez with a peach. And this was the 86th minute, and they left it late. But eventually, let's say towards the end of uh, maybe the 75th minute, the last quarter of the game is when United. Started showing signs of the old United, you know, the way we finished the last season. Those those passes were finally coming along. No, maybe it was, it was down to the fact that maybe Newcastle was stretched. Maybe they were tired from all the pressing. It could be a bunch of factors. But suddenly, in the last ten fifteen minutes, things clicked for United and they made them pay. 
Well, United are the uh, comeback kings, aren't they? Right from uh, the foggy time of the last decade. But um, do you think the scoreline is an accurate reflection of the game? No, not at all. I already said that uh, in the beginning. But uh, as a United fan, I don't really care. I mean, four goals are four goals, and you know, it's a win. We would we really needed. Especially now, because uh, in a few hours we face uh, PSG at PSG, so I think it'll do a lot. Uh, you know, it'll help the team's confidence. And uh, a very surprise announcement that happened is that Bruno Fernandez has been named as the captain for this team for tonight. He's been rewarded for his, uh, you know, his passion and his his drive, and he's been uh, Ole surprised him in the news conference. He didn't know about it, so that's a that's a good sentiment that players are getting. Uh, you know. Uh, the due uh, for uh, playing for the shirt. I, I I quite like that gesture. Well, kudos to Bruno Fernandez. He is your talisman, yep. uh, and he's been since he uh, joined the club earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I want to talk about the, the Sheffield and Fulham games uh, for uh, being obvious examples of two teams who couldn't take it. Yeah. Uh, either team had chances to win it. Uh, Mitrovic with a dreadful penalty. Mm-hmm. And uh, just plain dreadful football all around. Sheffield United are a team that are down in the dumps. I think with Henderson gone, the spine of the team is broken. They can't seem to be keeping those clean sheets that kept them afloat uh, last year. And, uh, you know, Rian Brewster's joined in. But, uh, I mean, unless he hits the ground running, I can't see where the goals are going to come from. No, it's a bit surprising because the the squad is more or less unchanged for Sheffield United. And, you know, uh, yes, they kept a lot of clean sheets because of Henderson. But they did score a lot of goal, goals. The likes of McBurney and uh, McGoldrick are just not uh, delivering at the moment. They just, uh, they just lack that spark. It's just not there anymore. And I think if this form continues for both of them, Sheffield and Fulham, uh, they might find themselves, uh, themselves in a very precarious position towards the end of the season, fighting for relegation maybe. Yeah, and uh, another two teams that we've got to speak of, although they are at the other end of the table, are Crystal Palace and Brighton. Mm -hmm. Now, this was a draw that was a fairly feisty draw. And uh, uh, this one too had a dreadful challenge, which uh, was punished. Uh, Lewis Dunn going in uh, two-footed. Of course, uh, that was a more reflex sort of uh, thing. We know in a goal mouth scramble, sometimes you get a shot of adrenaline and you do things you're not supposed to. Uh, he went in two-footed. Uh, it was a red card all day long and he got one. And I think it was good refereeing all along. Uh, Crystal Palace were uh, under a bit of pressure throughout. I think throughout the game, they had one shot until maybe the 92nd minute when they had another shot. But uh, they seem to get get the job done these days. And of course, Zaha is uh, still going strong. So evidently, he was not playing for a move away. He's, uh, you know, been doing the hard work and he's been uh, delivering the goods. Now, this takes me back to my theory, my very popular opinion that all teams turn into Barcelona when they play against United. Both Crystal Palace and Brighton played the best football they could ever play against United. But against each other, uh, it was a, it was quite terrible, to be honest. You know, it was a game that lacked, uh, you know, chances. There wasn't much in it. And to be honest, I don't even remember this game. I remember seeing it, but I don't remember really what happened apart from that red card that you just mentioned. You know, not much in it. Now coming to so coming to was, yeah, we've already draw number, draw number four, four or something. Yeah, we've already discussed the three-all draw against Spurs. I mean, it was a wasted opportunity. They had a lot of time, a lot of chances to maybe put the game to bed, but they did not. And West Ham made them pay definitely. Now coming to the surprise result of the weekend, Villa 
at the King Power winners against Leicester City. What have Villa been drinking? So I would uh, point you in the direction of a transfer window well done. Mm-hmm. I think everyone agrees that Aston Villa have done the most remarkable business in the transfer window. They have strengthened, they have signed, they have re-signed. They've even managed to stage a coup and get Ross Barkley. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy who then you know, inevitably scored them the winner. So technically, he scores two or three of those. He's worth nine or ten points. And voila, all of what you've paid for him during... Uh, you know, 12 months in in terms of his loan, etc. He's repaid you already. Three yeah. points. That's what he's worth. Quite a quite a result and quite a performance by Ross Barkley to get that winner. And I mean, I'm sure it's gonna he's gonna be a he is gonna be a starter and a very interesting pick for maybe your your fantasy Premier League team for your listeners out there who do indulge in the fantasy Premier League. Now moving on to some uh, Monday night fixtures. I mean, we already mentioned this is the first nil-nil draw of the season with West Brom versus Burnley, and quite an interesting stat that it's come for the first time in game week number five. This tells you how incredible the season has uh, has been so far. I mean, we're only in game week five. Who knows what's going to happen next? And uh, the final game of the season again. Now, I hate to see Leeds United lose their momentum. Now, you know, this was a game which they could have done something about. They started off so well. I remember the opening game against Liverpool. They really made them run. But now they're just slipping off a bit. They're slipping off the pace a bit. Well, uh, it's called the promoted team syndrome. There's always a team that's fast off the blocks. Uh, you know, they, they think they've got a point to prove. The early momentum gets them. Uh, if you remember, in a uh, couple of episodes ago, we discussed how the international break came at a wrong time for teams like Leeds. Yeah. And while Villa were able to take it in their stride, I think Leeds... Uh, are getting a healthy dose of realism. Yeah, I mean, if they don't adapt fast, they might uh, find themselves in some very, uh, you know, dangerous uh, situations where they don't want to be eventually. But uh, quite an interesting uh, game week we had. Man United and City, the big winners, big uh, jumps in the table. United still in uh, the bottom half and I hope uh, they continue climbing. But they have some very difficult fixtures in the Premier League ahead. They have Chelsea at home, then they have Arsenal at home, followed by Everton at uh, Goodison Park. So not a not a you know time and mind you they are going to play PSG tonight and they have Leipzig in the middle as well so quite quite a rough uh, period for all United fans out there. Uh, let me uh, talk to you a little bit about the PSG game. Yeah. So while you voice your support for Dean Henderson, who would you start in the defense? Uh, well, you got to stick with uh, what worked. I would stick with uh, Van Bissaka. He got a good goal. Got a, quite a proper shot that was. Stick with Harry Maguire. He has, uh, I mean, say what you want about the man. He has a commanding presence. He can uh, maybe score goals as well now. Uh, Lindelof seems to be coming back in it. I mean, obviously, Eric Bailly got in- injured during the international break, so he's out. And on the left, I would like to see Alex Tellez and see what he's about. I mean, he's had time. He's had, uh, you know, he's trained with the team. He is, I think he's good to go. You know, give Luke Shaw uh, a bit of a rest and give him, uh, you know, something to think about for his uh, for his performances uh, lately. In the middle, I mean, uh, the the two players that pick themselves for me are Rashford and uh, Bruno Fernandez, you know. And uh, as an as an enforcer, I would like to see uh, the likes of maybe uh, McTominay and uh, Donny Van de Beek somewhere in there. And up front, uh, since uh, Martial is now he's available, Martial is going to play up top. Cavani, for instance, for some reason, is still not available for this game. Apparently, he still needs to isolate, so he's not travelled with the team. 
But I read somewhere that he it's okay if he travels on a separate plane and joins the team there. Something about I don't know. It's speculation. I don't know if Cavani is going to start. I would love to watch him against his former club in their former stadium. Obviously, Cavani with a point to prove. Uh, it would be great to see him. And uh, then it just leaves a position for the likes of maybe Dan James, Juan Mata, or uh, Mason Greenwood. Well, talking of players who have uh, to prove a point this season, uh, apparently Madrid aren't too happy with uh, Rodriguez's flying start to life at Everton. And uh, uh, Mesut Ozil has been apparently axed from the 25-man squad in both the Premier League and the Europa League. Uh, which means that he's pretty much going to be earning sitting at home. How long is his contract going to be? How many years? Uh, it's got one more year left on it. So, this is his final year. No, but as a footballer, don't you think it's way time wasted? Because you only have a limited period of years where you can actually play professional football, isn't it? Don't you think he's wasting his time? Well, I have no idea what's going through that man's uh, brain. I would think that maybe he's looked around and said... Okay, I won the World Cup. I was at Madrid. Uh, you know, I've gotten uh, decent money at Arsenal. I'm now 32 or 33. And really, I'll make my move to the MLS in a few months. Uh, so, why should I risk it all? Why, you know, I'll just sit at home, uh, treat this year as a vacation year and go out and make money. So, maybe this is a guy who's not motivated to do glorious things like Zlatan Ibrahimovic or, you know, anybody else who's moving around for silverware. For example, Thiago Silva. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a good point there. Moving on to tonight's uh, Champions so League fixtures. Everybody's motivations are different, and uh, Ozil really is, is a yeah is a you know he's he's a bit of a mystery. Well, I really wanted to see Ozil at United at some point, but uh, now I don't know. Anyway, moving on to uh, some very interesting uh, Champions League fixtures tonight, brother. What what's got your attention uh, about your uh, the fixtures which are happening tonight? What's uh, What's the one to look out for? So, the United and the PSG match obviously stands out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wouldn't fancy United. Uh, also because the match is at, uh, you know, PSG's home turf. But uh, a bunch of uh, nondescript but matches really. T- you've got Zenit playing Club Bruce. You've got uh, Dynamo Kiev playing Juventus. Fairly straightforward matches. You've got uh, Leipzig playing Istanbul uh, and you've got Ren playing Krasnodar. The match that stands out to me is the Chelsea-Sevilla game. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe the Lazio-Dortmund game. So These maybe... are the matches that stand out. I can't call them. Uh, I do suspect Dortmund will be too strong for Lazio. Uh, but the Chelsea-Sevilla game, that mm-hmm. is one game that I would want to watch. Yeah, I think that's going to be very interesting. Sevilla, obviously the winners of the Europa League last season and Chelsea finally, you know, getting uh, their players to work around each other. But, you know, we're seeing signs of brilliance around them, especially the team of Werner goals. Let's see what he can do against uh, Sevilla. Now, a point that you raised earlier about PSG playing, uh, sorry, United playing at PSG. Now, as your opinion, without the fans present, how much does do away fixtures, you know, affect uh, a team psychologically? Does it even factor in anymore without any fans there? Well, from the Premier League, we are seeing a lot more high-scoring games and we are seeing defensive mistakes that normally don't happen. So, what the experts seem to concur uh, at is uh, that without the fans, the defensive-minded players can switch off. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case in European competition, then 
essentially that negates the home advantage so you will find that a lot of these hostile stadiums are so suddenly a little easier to get to and play in yeah yeah i, th- I see your point there and uh, obviously the champions league lasts uh, for two days this game week another few very interesting features uh, on uh, wednesday night or should i say thursday morning for our indian listeners bayern munich versus atletico madrid group a fixture now that is going to be a cracker what do we expect from munich this season so a certain uh, lucas torreira is in line to make his debut for atletico madrid okay and i would uh, this game would have ordinarily been a lot closer if diego costa was available mm-hmm. but uh, i think he's been ruled out because of injury so this is a bayern munich win through and through although atletico can be very very combative but um, i think the loss of thomas parte is going to be a big loss and uh, with bayern in the form they are in uh, carrying on from their champions league win last year i don't see anything apart from a bayern victory okay just to read out some of the other fixtures which are happening uh, fc red bull salzburg versus lokomotiv moscow don't really care real madrid face uh, shakhtar donetsk should be interesting Milan Inter Milan face Borussia Mönchengladbach Man City face uh, FC Porto now that's an interesting game but I think Man City uh, will kind of wing it uh, another interesting fixture should be Ajax versus Liverpool now what what is Ajax left i mean they've they've basically sold all their uh, star players in the last few seasons i mean what's left Uh, your guess is as good as mine on that. Uh, I mean, Ajax have turned up, but uh, they pretty much they are a feeder club to the rest of the European uh, elite. And uh, unless they've unearthed some new wonder kids, I don't see them uh, posing any kind of difficulty to Liverpool. All right, then I think that concludes our uh, you know review episode and our uh, predictions for the Champions League. Well, we haven't made any predictions, but just to talk about some interesting fixtures which are coming up. Uh, we will not talk about the Europa League because nobody cares about the Europa League. It sucks. It should be banned, and nobody cares. It's a terrible waste of time for everybody, except for United. When that one season where we won it with Zlatan, that's an epic season. We should watch it all again on repeat and repeat and repeat. But apart from that, it's been a giant waste of time. Brother, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure discussing. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Alrighty, see you around next time.